It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, Gronk here, calling a 30-second hair huddle. When it comes to tackling hair loss, Hims has you covered. From clinically proven regrowth treatments to thickening shampoo and conditioner. Just go to 4 for a free consultation. Then a licensed medical provider can help you with your game plan. If prescribed, Hims ships directly to your door. Get your hair back in the game with Hims. Try today and get a 90-day money-back guarantee at 4 Just go to 4 slash NFL. That's 4 slash NFL. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. The opening week of the NFL is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premier men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Promo code LOCKEDON gets you 20% at MacWeldon.com. So get off your butt. I promise it will thank you for it. The Athletics' Ben Fennell is on the show today to talk about the Packers, what to expect from this team schematically. We're going to get into a little bit of X's and O's, a little bit of philosophic football talk and try and set you up for what's going to happen on Thursday to try and preview what this offense is going to look like, what this defense is going to look like, where are the flaws, where are the potential upgrades, everything that you are going to need to understand what's going to be going on the field on Thursday. I don't want to waste a lot of time because Ben and I were having such a good conversation. I was I was trying to let Ben go, honestly, and be respectful of his time, and he was like, hey, let's keep going. Can we keep going? So uh, we did, and that means we had a lot to talk about. But before we get to that, there was some news that came out Labor Day, and the big news on Labor Day was the Packers traded for B.J. Goodson, now a former Giant linebacker who is a thumper. He is basically what the Packers wanted Antonio Morrison to be last year that he really couldn't be. Goodson is not a great cover linebacker, but he is reliable. He is aggressive. He is a downhill run-defending player. Green Bay, with the amount of linebackers that they have, which, by the way, is really just one that they feel any kind of good about. Blake Martinez, you have Ty Summers, the seventh-round pick, and before that, you had James Crawford. After they traded for Goodson, it was a seventh-round pick swap. Same as basically what the Packers did in the Justin McCray deal. And you basically give up nothing to get a player the Giants were going to waive. And instead of having to deal with a waiver claim, the Packers cut the line and they gave up basically nothing to do it. This is a depth play. Now, Goodson is a good player, uh, at least by inside linebacker standards. He is a reliable tackler. He is physical at the point. He's a good run defender. 
um, can can be used as a blitzer if you need him to be, and is is a depth piece. That's all he needs to be. You know, the approach the Packers take to these things is they're not going to pay an expensive veteran. They're not going to do the Kiko Alonso deal to come in and play for a couple weeks or to give them depth. But these kinds of moves where you're getting a guy on a rookie contract who's getting paid under a million dollars this year to come in and just give you some reliability behind your starters where he can play 30-40% of snaps if you need him to. You know, against the Bears, maybe he won't play. New defense, got to get up to speed. Probably won't play week one. But maybe week two, he can be out there in some limited opportunities. Will the Vikings know to target him? Because he won't really have been in the scouting report. We won't really have seen him. We won't know what he's capable of doing in a Mike Patton defense. Can he be a factor as a pass rusher in those double A-gap mug looks? Maybe. I think he can be. I went back. He was not a player I scouted coming out of college at Clemson. But when I went to study Shaq Lawson, he was a player that popped. And you just that is something that I notice. And I, I notate it. Whenever I'm watching a player and studying them, if other guys are distracting me from watching the player that I'm watching, then that usually matters. At least it's relevant in their evaluation as well. Now, I never did get to evaluate Goodson coming out, but you can watch him now in the NFL and see the player that he's become. He will fire off the ball. He will come downhill. He will hit you. He will be a part of your run defense, and that is something that the Packers, you know, they just need a reliable body. Long-term, you want someone who can cover, but that's Oren Burks and potentially Curtis Bolton, who the Packers get back on IR, who can you can see in year two if he has something. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. You get someone like Goodson because he's cheap, he's young, and if you need him to play, he can play. If he were a good answer... He would have cost more. If he were a good answer, frankly, he wouldn't have been available because the Giants would have just kept him. They would have played him. But they didn't. They were ready to move on from him. Now, that said, you go back and you look at his pro football focus numbers from last year, and your mileage may vary on all of this, and that's fine. But you go back and look at his overall grade last year. Better than Roquan Smith. Better than Eric Kendricks. Better than a lot of starting inside linebackers in the NFL. Blake Martinez, by the way, was the highest graded inside linebacker in the NFC North, one of the highest graded in the NFC. Obviously not in that Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley range, but solid. B.J. Goodson is a do-your-job linebacker, and for the Packers, that was all they needed, someone to just do your job. They did it. They got him for cheap. And they probably weren't going to use that kind of player very much in week one anyway. They're going to use Raven Green as the Ornberg's analog. And so week two, week three, you get him up to speed. He can play some base. And if you have an injury, if Ornberg's takes longer to get back, then you can put him on the field and feel good about what he gives your defense. Before we get to Ben, I want to talk about Mack Weldon because Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple Shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, smart pants, and more that you will ever wear. I know it's hard to find things that are comfortable, that look cool. It is hard, but Mack Weldon has done it. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well 
too. Whether you're working out, going to work, going out on dates, or just hanging around the house, Mack Weldon has you covered. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. And I know a lot of us at, at many points in our lives have wished our clothes could do that. You, you forget to put on deodorant one day, or it's a little bit sweatier in the office one day, and you wish, man, I wish my clothes could just take care of this for me. Well, that's the deal at Mack Weldon. And right now, you can get 20% off your first order when you go to MacWeldon.com and use the promo code Locked On. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code Locked On to get 20% off your first order. David Harrison here, the Locked On Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's killer bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store all right let's get to ben fennel you can follow him on twitter at ben fennel underscore nfl he works on the nfl draft at nfl network he also works for the Eagles site putting together video clips for them. He's at the Athletic Wisconsin breaking down Packers film every week. Ben, thanks for coming back on Locked on Packers. Always great to hop on with you and talk some Packers. It is indeed. It's been too long. We'll, we'll have to try and do it a little bit more frequently this season, but I know you've got a lot on your plate. Uh, let's jump right in here. The, the Packers offense is probably as unclear in terms of what we can expect as it's been the last few years because with Mike McCarthy we more or less knew what was coming this Matt LaFleur scheme is is a little bit up in the air we think it's going to have pieces of Sean McVay we think it's going to have pieces of Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur's offense last year in Tennessee when you let's back up and and go back to January February when you first heard about the hire and got a chance to go back and look at some concepts what stood out to you as things that would be new and different for Packers fans watching this team? Well, the first glaring difference would just be the commitment to balance and the commitment to the run game and that everything seems to stem and evolve off of the run game, which really has not been the way the Packers' identity and philosophy has been under Mike McCarthy the past couple of years. It's been a pass game focus. It's obviously a pass game league, but you still need a semblance of balance in order to run your entire playbook and to operate the certain schemes off play action and to move the pockets and to take a little bit of the pressure off the quarterback. And I think the Green Bay Packers are certainly in the market to take some pressure off Aaron Rodgers. And the player who's going to shoulder the biggest part of that load, I don't think we, we can say that he's going to be the only player to do it uh, or even the guy who does it You know, 80% of the time is someone you wrote about last week. And that's Aaron Jones. And and you went in-depth about the different kinds of ways that the Packers can use him, whether it's in the run game, in the passing game, split out, screen game, all those things. Where do you see Jones's role evolving 
uh, as they as they look toward playing real live NFL games here. Well, as much as I like Aaron Jones as a player, and I think he's exciting, and I think he deserves to have more touches and opportunities, I don't want to deem him as being the savior to carry the load and take the pressure off of Aaron Rodgers. I think the philosophical approach will take the pressure off of Aaron Rodgers, mm. whether it's a back by committee or whoever is back there. I think just the re-emphasis to the run game and committing to more balance will take the load off. But Aaron Jones has just been a player that every time he touches the ball, like you had mentioned, whether it's the pass game, the screen game, little check downs, running game, gap schemes, zone schemes, creating for himself. We've seen him make people miss in the open field. Every opportunity he gets, he seems like he's a big play waiting to happen. And those players you have to feed because as the volume of touches increases, the likelihood of big plays is going to increase. And I think he's earned that right. I think his rookie year with the injuries kind of set him back. Then last year with the suspension to start the year obviously wasn't how he wanted his sophomore campaign to begin. But I think 2019 and the philosophical approach of the new coaching staff is going to suit his, his skill set perfectly. Yeah, and, and to your point, you highlighted a play from week two of the preseason or a series of plays where it was 11 personnel for three straight plays and they went run, run, pass, and it was basically the same outside zone concept, split zone, and then into uh, an – or it wasn't consecutive plays, but it was three looks that looked the same that turned out different, but it was a sequence of plays. They went run, run and then play action for a big play. It seems like that is sort of embodying the mantra of how Matt LaFleur wants to play. I just felt like that was the perfect snapshot, and you're absolutely right. That was three plays back-to-back-to-back where they didn't sub anybody out. They went with the same personnel, kept the same defense on the field, had the same run action, and that's what Sean McVay's offense is all about, and that's what Matt LaFleur has talked about. We want to be able to run different plays out of the same look. And that plays that start the same and are inevitably going to end up being different. And that's a very tough read for defenses when you're coming out with the same formation, the same look, the same run action. Then all of a sudden you have wrinkles built off of it. But first and foremost, you have to commit to the run game. You have to commit to succeeding in the run game for defenses to respect that. And then the pass game is going to open up. And I think that's just going to take a lot of pressure off of the most talented quarterback in the league and that. He doesn't need to be a superhero and carry this team with his right arm. Well, and the other thing that it does is, you know, when when Matt LaFleur was first hired, I looked at, at his Tennessee offense and I looked at that 2016 Falcons offense and found that they were in heavier personnel far more often than Green Bay had been. Green Bay ran 11 personnel as often as any team in the league outside of the Los Angeles Rams. And so I thought, okay, they're going to play two tight ends. They're going to play running back, fullback. And then what we've seen so far in the preseason and what that sequence of plays that you chose to highlight was, was actually out of 11 personnel. And what a lot of the data suggests is running out of 11 personnel and throwing out of whether it's 12 or 21 is actually where these, these efficiencies on offense are. It seems like that's, that's going to be closer to what Matt LaFleur is, and maybe he is going to play 11 personnel closer to, you know, 60, 65% of the time, but but still be committed to running the ball out of those formations. Yeah, now Sean McVay is a wacko. He yeah. ran 11 personnel. <laughs> That's not going to happen anywhere else in the league. That's really tough to do to stay that committed in a three-receiver uh, package. I think LaFleur is going to be a little bit more like a Kyle Shanahan type of offense, 
a little bit more multiple, incorporating the fullback, incorporating multiple tight ends. Some things you really don't see with the Los Angeles Rams. They really don't use the fullback. They'll occasionally go two tight ends, but like I mentioned, they're 98% three receiver, one tight end, one running back out on the field there. I just think the flexibility that you can get by attacking defenses with the personnel, I think you have to take advantage of that. And sometimes football is really complicated. And you had mentioned when you go 11 personnel and have three receivers on the field, that seems to be the indicator to run the ball. Well, just think about it. When you have 11 personnel, typically defenses are getting smaller to match up. Yep. You want to run against smaller defenses. And conversely, when the offense beefs up and then the defense uh, tries to counter that, you want to be able to pass the ball because you have some more matchups you could take advantage of. So I really liked, uh, I highlighted one play from last week where he just motioned the tight end out wide. And those type of motions and shifts and moving the fullback around formationally, I think are what help you manipulate defenses, acquire information pre-snap, and attack matchups. Well, and this is something that the Packer fans should be able to understand because Mike Patton last year, uh, he would get a little predictable with some of his formation groups on early downs. And what teams decided to do was if Antonio Morrison is on the field, let's go play action and make them pay for it. That is how you beat these defenses that are going to play big. And I know you have some concerns about some of these Mike Patton pressure schemes and, and designing yourself out of coverage, for example, explain to me what that means and, and what that concern is. Yeah. what I, I use that term quite a bit and that actually goes back to about 10 years ago with Jim Johnson and the Eagles. And they would often mug their linebackers in the a gap and have them buzz out really quickly and then I watched Kurt Warner shred them in the playoffs. And we talked about it at Playbook with NFL Network, and we used the term disguise yourself out of coverage. So every defensive coordinator wants to disguise what they're doing, but to what extent and to what degree are you then putting those players in an unfavorable or an inopportune situation for their assignment? You're trying to disguise what they're doing, but are you putting them in a position that they really can't get there? And a lot of Petten's pressure schemes rely on that kind of overload and bail in that when you have quarterbacks that know where to get the football instantly, they could beat defenders to the spot with their arm. And then I use the term beat the blitz with their arm quite often, like we saw Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson. And that was the kind of philosophy of Mike Pettin that unleash that pressure scheme, the designer blitzes as they're known as they're known around the league, get opposing offenses in the third and medium, third and long. But as we got later in the season, teams weren't waiting for third and medium, third and long to pass the ball. They said Packers are in base personnel, not blitzing on first down. We're going to attack down the field in the pass game on early downs. Why wait for third down when they're going to attack us with pressure schemes? So I think Petten just needs to find a little bit more balance with the pressure calls and allowing his front four to do the dirty work up front. How much then do you think what the Packers did with their offseason alleviates some of that pressure? Because if you have someone like Zadarius Smith, like Preston Smith, and we'll see what Rashawn Gary can give them as a pass rusher, guys who theoretically can win on their own. Green Bay didn't have many of those guys last year, especially when Mike Daniels was hurt and when Kenny Clark was hurt. So they had to dial up these pressure schemes. Being able to just rush with four or even five does that, does that change what Mike Patton, do you think, is going to do with how often he's deploying some of these designer blitzes? Yeah, I think their personnel decisions in the offseason show just a clear intent to find more players that can win one-on-one -on -one assignments. And obviously, Fackrell fell into 10 sacks last year. Nick Perry wasn't the player they expected. 
And Clay Matthews, I thought, was somewhat productive, even quietly with all the penalties and the kind of weird season that he had uh, where he had some of those sacks taken away. But I think he just needs more players to win those one-on-one matchups. They really don't have any interior disruptors. Both Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels were strong players in the trenches, but they're more slow-burn pass rushers. They don't do anything particularly quick. And I just look around the league and see these teams with these explosive interior defenders, whether it's Chris Jones or Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox winning from the inside out. I just never saw anybody on the Packers defensive front doing anything quick, doing anything explosive, disrupting immediately. And I think their decisions in free agency in the draft going and getting a Rashawn Gary, who, let's be honest, it's a boomer bust pick. He's an extremely yep. raw prospect. But what you can't teach is a guy to wake up in the morning being 6'3", 270, and to run a 4.58 or whatever he ran. He's a freak athlete. He's explosive. And there seems to be a clear intent from the Packers to find more explosive players that can win one-on-ones and disrupt faster. How much of, of what the Packers did this offseason with their secondary adding Darnell Savage, adding Adrian Amos, and if they can stay healthy in that cornerback room, how much more coverage disguise do you think Mike Pettin can use this season? Because he even said this offseason, we had to scale it back because when you're starting Tony Brown, Josh Jackson, and Jair Alexander, you've got three rookies. The amount of stuff you can throw at them is less. And then you've got Tremont Williams playing out of position. You've got, whether it's Kentrell Bryce, Josh Jones, you've got guys who aren't even on teams, might not even be in the league uh, by midseason. It, it can be hard to try and put those things together, right? Yeah, absolutely. And last year was an impressive coaching job by Mike Pettin, working in all those young players with a new scheme, with players off the street, interchangeable parts, injuries. Considering what we dealt with with Dom Capers, which, just to be frank, they ran very similar schemes defensively. But as Dom Capers' tenure kind of came to an end, there was just so many coverage busts, so many confused, uh, confusions on the back end, guys that missed assignments. And last year with the Packers, they really didn't have those. They got beat down the field here and there. They got beat on certain plays, but it wasn't from the complete busts or the coverage confusions. Guys were in the right spots. Other people made plays. And I just really give Mike Pettin a lot of credit for getting those young players up to speed and having that continuity with the defense collectively. And then you turn to this season, and it seems like it's all over again. You have a lot more young players to work into the lineup, whether that's for Sean Gary or Darnell Savage. And then you have the free agents to work in and teach the scheme. Adrian Amos and Preston Smith, Darius Smith, his exotic blitz, blitz pressures are not easy to pick up for guys that don't know the scheme. So I'm just a little bit worried. I think a little bit of simpli- simplification or simplifying his defense would suit them and the younger players a little bit better. Um, I'm just afraid that as you're starting to get more exotic and you're working in more and more young players, you're just destined for confused assignments and to allow big plays over your head and guys not in the right spot. But I like their intent in trying to upgrade the positions down the middle of the field because, let's just face it, that's been an area of the Packers' defense that's lacked big plays over the past two and three seasons. They Mm -hmm. haven't gotten a production from the safety position since Micah Hyde left. The linebackers aren't making any splash plays. No forced fumbles last year is a very alarming stat. All the missed tackles in this preseason are kind of alarming. So with that all being said, I think the middle of the defense in the Packers is definitely uh, fingers are pointing at them this season to make some plays and to kind of step up in this defense. 
Yeah, and and what the Packers did in Week One last year with with the way that they used all that nickel and dime defense was pretty effective against Mitch Trubisky. They they were hamstrung a little bit in that second meeting because of all the injuries on their defensive front. And I still felt like they played pretty decently against that Bears team. How do you expect Mike Patton to attack this version of the Bears with Mitch Trubisky in the year two with Matt Nagy's offense? They bring in David Montgomery. It looks like they want to run the ball a little bit more. What do you expect to be the plan for this offense in week one? Yeah, that's another designer offense. I think the way the recipe to beat the Bears is to get that ball in Mitch Trubisky's hands on third and long and how you do that is stop the run and on early downs you got to bottle up Tariq Cohen and the rookie David Montgomery and I know Matt Nagy is going to find different ways and creative ways to use all these weapons in the offense whether it's Trey Burton or the backs in the pass game out of the backfield but I think you want the ball in Mitch Trubisky's hands with that Chicago roster and just looking at their entire team they have a stout defense pretty much top to bottom across the board They have a pretty strong offensive line, a good running game, a lot of weapons. It's just that quarterback position that he's proven that he, you know, can kind of come up flat in some fourth quarters if he needs to put the team on his back and come from behind. I think that's the recipe to kind of frazzle the Bears and then knock them off is the make Mitch Trubisky beat you. All right, we're going to get back to Ben in just a second. But first, it's time to celebrate. Football is finally back. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football, has huge week one contests. The first one starts this Thursday night when Chicago and Green Bay kick off the season in a single-game showdown with $2.5 million. Yes, you heard that right. $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. Grab your single-game showdown lineup and feel the sweat like never before. It's simple. Just pick six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using promo code Locked On will receive a free shot at the million-dollar top prize. Nothing adds to the sweat of a game quite like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. Get in on all the action for the season opener. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code Locked On for a limited time. Both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500, and new users don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter my code, Locked On to get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. That's code Locked On only at DraftKings. It's time to make it rain. Hey, listen up, FanDuel Fantasy players. Your day is about to get 20% better. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Lockdown Fantasy Football here on the Lockdown Network, and I have an offer for you. Start playing fantasy this football season, and FanDuel will give you a 20% bonus on your first deposit. That's up to $500. That's a big-time bonus, and all you need to do to claim it is to make your first deposit on FanDuel. I love the fantasy contests they have on FanDuel. So many different ways to play, cash games, tournaments. I like to challenge myself there Take my fantasy football knowledge to the next level. Many different types of game formats you can pick from. Main slate, single game, best ball, snake draft, and you can even play private contests with your friends. There's an awesome slate of games on hand every single week. You can get the players that you don't have in your redraft leagues into your lineup. Try to get that big time return on investment. Every week is a new chance for you to win big at FanDuel, and that's what I love about it. Experience season-long wins without the season-long wait. Sign up today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your bonus and start playing today. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Agent location restrictions apply. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires after 30 days. 
All right, back to Ben. On the other side of the ball, uh, the Packers, they found success in the second half of week one, that virtuoso Rodgers performance on one leg after, you know, it looked like he was going to miss significant time, uh, comes back and leads them to a win. If because of what we talked about with the way that this offense is structured, the, the foundation of it, if they can't run the ball against this Bears front, what is plan B and, and how much how much does that change what Green Bay wants or needs to do to score enough points to win in this game? Well, plan B is going to be what I saw with the Tennessee Titans quite a bit, and that's get the ball into the hand of playmakers ASAP. And we need to get out of this philosophy that Aaron Rodgers is the superhero, the end-all, be-all, give him the ball, extend the play, scramble around, and make big plays like you have. He's 35 years old. He's coming off a major knee injury. There are playmakers on this offense. Get them the ball ASAP, whether that's quick game offense, whether that's screens and yards after catch opportunities, whether that's some more creative running attempts and giving the ball to some receivers and jet sweeps and things like that. I think just we need to get the ball into other people's hands to make some plays and take pressure off the 12. And and correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. uh, It it seems to me that – in, in Matt LaFleur's offense, compared to, say, Mike McCarthy's offense, there are simply more opportunities, or at least he is more willing, to do some of those different kinds of things. Jet sweeps, orbit motion, receiver screens, a lot of that stuff is already built into the offense. They don't have to change who they need to be in order to do some of that stuff, right? Absolutely, and LaFleur is coming from that Sean McVay-Shanahan tree that you're trying to acquire as much information on defense as pre-snap with different motions and shifts and trying to determine man and zone and move around your personnel for certain tips on the defense, but also into the snap and not only stretching teams vertically, you want to stretch teams horizontally as well with the jet sweeps and using every ounce of grass you can both vertically and horizontally and trying to stretch out defenses. And if you're not taking advantage of that, you're really not playing offense properly in 2019. So the kind of collective thought about Aaron Rodgers and moving into this season and kind of people giving him, I don't know if it's a free pass or how you, I guess I'll just ask you a question. Like, how do you view his performance last year Uh, coming off of the, obviously the knee injury and things like that. And the kind of the dysfunction behind the scenes and the coaching staff, like what's your general opinion on his quality of play last year? I felt like his play last year was substandard for him. And I think not only was the play substandard, he missed a lot of throws that you expect him to make. I, I, while I don't know the truth when it comes to audibles and the power struggle with Mike McCarthy, I think it's pretty clear, and this is going back to 2015, that, that something changed in the way that he viewed his role in the offense. And he felt like every play he needed to do something special or they weren't going to be able to be successful. And I think that that was to his detriment at times in 2015. I think it worked for him in 2016 when he got red hot. Uh, it was it was up and down in 2017. And then in 2018, it all came to a head with all of the issues that, that we know existed in this offense. In terms of you know him wanting to push the ball down the field every play, I understand the intent. I wish that that he would understand that that he needs to play a little bit differently. I think he played stubbornly last year. And my hope is that that with a new offense, an offense that he has a little bit more faith in, I think he would get play calls and say, 
this play is not going to work, so I have to I have to fix it. I have to change it. I have to do it. And he couldn't do that last year because he was hurt. And hopefully that was eye-opening to him for him to say, you know, maybe I could use a little help. Maybe I could get a little help. And if someone could come in and give me an offense where there's a little bit more built-in ease of access to these big plays, I could play a lot better. Yeah, and I guess it's just my concern with a coach who – at this point, is probably considered to be an unproven coach and Rodgers being yeah. a proven quarterback. And my big question behind the scenes is accountability and coachability. And obviously, neither of us are behind the walls there to really know. But I just have concerns on where the accountability lied down the stretch of the McCarthy tenure and whether he was really that critical over the play of Aaron Rodgers. Because I know every preseason and training camp, Bill Belichick loves to put on the negative plays of Tom Brady and show the entire team and that's not for Tom Brady that's for the whole team to know Tom Brady's the best on the team but he is no he's not exempt from criticism he's not exempt from coaching and I just have this big question on how Aaron Rodgers views the idea of being coachable you know it's it's a sort of an unknowable idea at this point I mean you 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 do hear about what people have to say and we have heard from a number of sides in this debate uh, it's not even really a debate. It's it's uh, in some ways it's an unknowable notion because only Mike McCarthy and and the guys who have actually coached him know what it's like to do that. Even if you're in the room when it's happening, you don't you're not in their heads. It is going to be the defining trait of Matt Lafleur's success as a head coach. I think is if he can get Aaron Rodgers to be coachable and not just be coachable but buy in. He's got to have buy in. And that buy-in comes with accountability. You have to be accountable. There's, you know, you you talked about the Bill Belichick story. There's a famous story of Bill Walsh uh, in film sessions never called Joe Montana by his name, only by his number. And it was his way of saying, to your point about Belichick and Brady, that he is just one of 53 guys. And it was, again, it was it was a little bit for him, but it was mostly for the rest of the team to understand that if I can coach him, I can coach everyone else. Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan, same thing, right? The fact that Greg Popovich could coach Tim Duncan hard made it easier for him to coach the rest of the team hard. What I've been told about Matt LaFleur is he is extremely detail-oriented and he is extremely persnickety about how he wants things done. And in, at the college level... It didn't really work because guys like Malik Zaire and Everett Golson and Deshaun Kaiser, who was in that room as well as a redshirt freshman, they didn't they didn't believe in him or they didn't listen to him. If Rodgers does, it seems like there's a personality connection there. They're both very detail oriented. They're they both have very high standards about how they want things done. If they can get together on how this works, I think the relationship can work. Rodgers needs to be honest with himself, right? About where he needs to be better. Yeah, I guess that's the kind of question and the just the aurora that nobody really knows about the relationship and how he views his own play and his desire to be better and how hungry he is to be coachable and right the wrongs. And um, he's obviously... If you put him on a lie detector, Ben, what do you think he would... How do you think he would describe his play last year? Good, good enough. I would think he would think his play was good enough And when reflecting back on the 2018 Green Bay Packers, it wasn't his play that set them back. It wasn't his play that caused them to miss the playoffs. I don't know. And then as 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 Ben Fennel now assess that assess that thought. 
I, I, I just, I don't know him personally and just kind of his California cool attitude and just the lack of kind of emphasis in the losses on his own play. Um, I just felt like anytime there was negativity around, it got grouped into we and the team and it never seemed to be a, I need to do that better. I need to fix that. Um, it always seemed like to be some sort of collective thought about like the group failing that I don't know if he would ever put it on himself. And I think he made enough flash plays and that's the issue with sports and the whole number argument and statistics and, and the whole grade aspect and PFF and you don't grade the plays he doesn't make or the throws he doesn't make. And everyone looks at his touchdown interception ratio and there's plenty of eye popping statistics to make him look like an all pro, but his down to down play, I really don't know. And I kind of questioned the quality of it last year, but I don't know how he views it. That's kind of an interesting question. There's also data, you know, some of the guys that, that are really heavy into just the analytics of it, Ben Baldwin at the athletic in Seattle, uh, and, and some of the guys over at 538 have chronicled the drop in his play, uh, since that 2014 MVP season. And I think to your point, that down to down difference is there, even if he still does make those incredible throws. I mean, the two throws against Seattle are as good as two throws that he's had in his career. But then you look at the third down throw in the fourth quarter and he zips the ball to MVS's feet and you just go, how is this the same guy? I guess my my idea this whole offseason has been what he needs is an offense where there is stuff that's just, this is the read. This is where the play is designed to go. We've built this play to be this. And not every play has to be that, but there needs to be more plays where it's just like, all right, everything is set up around freeing up this guy, which is different. That seems like an intuitive thought, but it's different than the way Mike McCarthy did it. Giving him more of those where it's like, no, this is the throw. Can Is he going to, number one, is he going to take those? Is he going to do the thing? And number two, if he does, does that allow him or or encourage him, let's say, to play more within the structure of the offense. I don't I don't think we're going to know the answer to that even maybe in year 1. Yeah, we probably won't. And I would love to know his opinion sitting at home in the 2017 playoffs in the in the championship games, you have Case Keenum, Nick Foles, Blake Bortles. Like what does Aaron Rodgers think seeing that those are three of the four quarterbacks in the championship games that he's light years ahead of obviously of talent and ability, but they're the ones that are winning and playing efficient football. Why does offense have to be so hard in Green Bay? I well, I mean, I think he, he would certainly say, look at the guys around me. And I, I think I would probably say some of that stuff, too. But to your point, you want you want to hear the accountability. This is this is the, the message that I'm getting. You want him to say, I have to be better, which, by the way, I do think he has said at times he has said, you know, we all need to be better. That includes me. That starts with me. But I, I, he doesn't sound like most other quarterbacks when talking about the accountability part of it. And I, I think that's totally true. I, I wonder what, it's, what, what that is in the locker room, how that plays in the locker room. We've heard from guys like Greg Jennings when he says, look, it, it's never his fault. But then you, you look at Jordy Nelson, one of his best friends, Randall Cobb, one of his best friends, James Jones, one of his best friends. So, like, what's the difference there? Where is the disconnect? What is the, tr- what is the truth? Is it just personal is it every once in a while he just he does not get along with someone they don't get along and and that's just life in you know any business I don't I don't know 
Yeah, I really don't know either. I think 2019 is going to be interesting. There's a lot of questions around this team. There's obviously that unknown optimism that every team's going through right now and starting 0-0. But when I just look at the landscape of the league and this division, it's kind of hard to get excited about this team this year. And it's hard to put anything more than like a kind of 8-8 eight and eight feel to kind of their projection coming up. Well, they certainly are going to have a difficult division. The Vikings are going to be really good. The Bears are going to be really good. I, I think, I think ten wins is going to win this division. So, you know, get a, get a, get a little lucky. You know, maybe they maybe they can get to ten wins and and get into the playoffs. But we'll see. It's it's. Um, I think we're going to learn a lot about Matt Lafleur this season. I think we're going to learn a lot about Brian Gutekinds this season. And I think we're going to learn probably the most about Aaron Rodgers of any player on this team and and potentially of any player in the league, I think. I mean, I, I don't think that's hyperbole to say because this is the first time we've seen a player as good as Aaron Rodgers in a new offense this late in his career that isn't really an offense of his making. The Peyton Manning one doesn't count because with Adam Gase, they ran Peyton Manning's offense. That was not a new offense. This is a brand new offense. And we've, I mean, this is pretty unprecedented in the modern league to see a moment like this there is uh, there is huge huge impact in terms of the perception and our information right of of who Aaron Rodgers is what he is as a player and whether or not he can return to what he was in 2014 or 2016 during the run the table stretch and i really feel if he trusts the scheme and turns into a pocket passing distributor and a pocket passing assassin that he can be i really think he could play till he's 45 years old but if he continues the same style of improvisation and play extension into his late 30s, man, there's a lot of young mobile quarterbacks. There aren't a lot of old ones. And I just think that's, that well is kind of drying up. Yeah, ask Steve Young. Yeah, exactly. And I think he's the one that had the quote with Bill Walsh that said, every time a quarterback scrambles, it sets back the efficiency of the offense. And to hear that from a Steve Young caliber of player with his athleticism, his willingness to extend plays and break the pocket, to know that that is not how the play was designed to go. That kind of tells you a lot about structure and the way plays are designed and the way you're supposed to execute as a quarterback. And a guy who at once used to have the longest quarterback touchdown run ever and also had the most efficient QB season ever. Right. Uh, so he, this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and, and it starts already in just a few days. Ben, where where can uh, my listeners find more of the work that you're doing? I'll be doing week, uh, weekly film breakdowns over at the Athletic Wisconsin, like I did all last year with uh, all 22 breakdowns and doodles and films and articles. Uh, also over at the Philadelphia Eagles, working on a lot of their things in the media department, Eagles game plan, working with Fran Duffy. Also out on the road, ESPN College Football, Dave Pash, Greg McElroy. Had my first game this weekend, Boise State, Florida State. Super excited to be down in Jacksonville for that one. And uh, you know, just a lot of football this season, ready to get going. I can't wait. It should be a lot of fun. And again, we're going to learn a lot. And and I know that that excites someone like you who is always digging into what's going on and, and trying to figure out why it's, why it's going on the way that it is. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time today. Always fun to talk to you, Peter. All right. I want to thank Ben again for joining the program. Always insightful when he comes on, when he writes something, you should read it. When he tweets something, you should listen to it. When he puts some film out, you should watch it because if he is noticing it, if he thinks it's important, it probably is. He's smart. He's really smart. And I, I always appreciate his perspective. We don't always agree. We're not always going to agree. He's usually right. Uh, but 
you know, that's just that's uh, that's why these conversations are fun. And, and it is always great to have him on the show. We're going to be back tomorrow. Crossover Wednesday. Lauren Cox, the host of Locked on Bears, is going to be on the show to preview Chicago. I know a lot of you have spent a lot of time thinking about this game, a lot of time thinking about this team. This is the team for the Packers to beat in 2019. Obviously, you want to win this game. If they don't, they've got another shot at them at Lambeau later in the season. From my perspective, this game is gravy. If the Packers win it, it is awesome. If they lose it, no harm done. When you look at the schedule, you expect at Chicago, at Minnesota, some of these games, you just expect that that's going to be a tough one to win. You want to win them all, but this is one you can afford to drop early. Obviously, you want to see them play well. All that stuff. So Laura and I are going to discuss all of that on Crossover Wednesday. And then the game's Thursday. So we don't have a lot of time. We've got a lot to talk about. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you find podcasts, Google Podcasts. Be subscribed. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, normally Fridays, is the day for me to take questions along with those injury concerns that we have going into the week. This week, no injury concerns because the week's over Friday. So we're going to have the show Thursday after the game. And if I get some good questions, you know, maybe maybe I decide we, we put out a show. We'll see. So hit me up on the Lockdown Packers fan hotline, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers. <laughs>